You are listening to Down Home. This week, the Down Home podcast continues with the second part of a conversation with award-winning poet, author, and activist, Dr. George Elliott Clark. Listen in as Dr. Clark talks about his poetic inspiration and the role that white supremacy plays in our Canadian culture, as well as global political events. If you haven't heard the first part of the conversation, it can be found in the episode list. I'm Derek Wise, and on behalf of Jay Jones, welcome to Down Home, the Nova Scotian experience by two black men. talk about your poetry uh you know you you've been doing poetry obviously a long long time and um just talking about what you did you went through this time in the 70s i guess where you were inspired by what it's called the your gang of seven intellectuals um (laughs) could you talk about how they inspired your poetry i I mean i'll get you to list off the names if you want and you can just tell that story but how did they influence you well, it's fascinating. It really is because of the fact that I, I got I to gotta send out some more props here right, immediately. Okay, like everybody, I went through high school, uh, uh, junior high school, but particularly high school, Queen Elizabeth High School, Halifax, 75 to 78. Those are my years of getting, you know, going from grade 10 to, to grade 12. Mm-hmm. And in those three years, there was absolutely no exposure to black history. Mm, to- yeah to anything that had to do with black culture. And for that matter, there was no exposure to real history, real history, which has Mm -hmm. to do with struggle, Mm -hmm. which has to do with establishment versus the people, which has to do with elites versus the people. There was none of that. So luckily for me, I fell in with, with a group of six, if not gang of six, and they were Rocky Jones, great black community radical, uh, and thinker and mover and shaker, Joan Jones, who was just as radical and just as influential a thinker and mover and shaker, his then wife, uh, Walter Borden, playwright, poet, editor, man of words, actor, mm-hmm. a man of letters, a man of town, always hanging out with James Baldwin under his arm, stack of James Baldwin <laughs> under his arm and a cigarette and a coffee at, at play at work all the time, right? Yeah. And and then uh, along with uh, along with along with those three, there was also Sylvia, because I already mentioned Sylvia Hamilton, mm-hmm. uh, who was who was uh, an activist, community activist, and intellectual as they all, as the other three were, uh, and and uh, also uh, her husband Beth Greenlaw, okay. another community activist, intellectual, and basketball coach. Uh, so yes. very strongly connected to the black community uh, as well. And then Jackie Barkley. Um, you know, if Jackie ever listens to this or hears this, I know that she will be proud of me to mention the fact that she was an authentic, card-carrying, fire-breathing communist, Marxist-Leninist. Amen. <laughs> and and so I had I had those six folks giving me books, giving me records, giving me editorials to read um and and of course access to poetry and the bob dylan records and the malcolm x speeches and so that and so what i'm trying to say here is that 
between the ages of 17 and 19, I went to the real school. Mm-hmm. I went to the real college, mm-hmm. the college that made me an intellectual, not just somebody who had a, who had a, a high school diploma, but somebody mm-hmm. trained to think critically mm-hmm. about our society and, and its uh, constitutive uh, bases, uh, economically, sociologically, politically, and so on. And so once they turned me on to reading uh, political science and, and history and sociology, Yes, I picked up all of the black history I could, including uh, black Nova Scotian history via James Walker. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then also, I read Pierre Elliott Trudeau mm-hmm. and his great essays on 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 uh, liberalism, political thought, uh, approaches to politics. I still hardly recommend it to anybody who wants like to take a crash course in how to understand liberal democracy. You got to read PET. Mm-hmm. Of course, I read Malcolm X, uh, the autobiography, but then the speeches. Uh, and 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 imbibe as much of that as as I could. Uh, hanging out at at uh, the Joneses' house, I had to uh, listen to Bob Dylan records, and I actually borrowed a Bob Dylan record, which I still have. Sorry, Tracy, you know, <laughs> I still got it for crying out loud. But that got me listening to Bob Dylan up the yin yang, especially yeah. of the nineteen sixties, and trying to write poetry emulating his mm-hmm. songwriting style, his yeah, lyricism. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I, I've mentioned Malka, I've mentioned uh, Pierre Elliott Trudeau. Irving Layton is a Canadian poet, of, a Jewish Canadian poet of Montreal, who I also admired very much for his uh, chutzpah, his cojones, his outspokenness um, on, on anything at all that he wanted to speak out about. So mm-hmm. uh, he was another important influence. When I got into really studying poetry and thinking through poetry, I, I, I happened upon Ezra Pound whose personal politics were, were quite awful. He was anti-Semitic, he was uh, pro-fascist during the Second World War. Uh, so his personal politics were, were reprehensible, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But his poetry really spoke to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I loved uh, the fact that he was able to write complex uh, poems that, act, that actually sounded very simple, that came across as everyday speech. Uh, and so that was in, in, important to me, and and uh, his poetry has remained a very important barometer for me, in terms of thinking about how to to treat even complex subjects in ways that I hope are down to earth and accessible and open. So he became a, a, another um, important uh, constituent of my of my brain trust, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And then because I was reading all of that. Uh, Marxist and Malcolm X thought, uh, and so on. Not to mention all the Afrocentric stuff that that I mean, Walter. I'm only chuckling because of the memory coming back to me of, of <laughs> Walter Borden expounding on Yosef Benjo Cannon and and his theses about all of history, basically deriving his not just history, civilization itself. That all global civilization comes out of Egypt, mm-hmm. that all theology comes out of Egypt, mm-hmm. and the uh, effort of Eurocentric white supremacist academics and intellectuals to erase the Egyptian, great Egyptian contribution to all the world's major religions and the ways that societies have thought to structure themselves ever since. And of course, the argument that Egyptian philosophy and theology was at the root of of Bollywood, uh, Greek philosophy mm-hmm. and theology. So, uh, but I just, I was chuckling because uh, Walter was 
you know, in between uh, drinking the coffee, smoking the, the cigarette, and eating clams and chips or <laughs> pie, you talking to me about you got to understand Joseph Benjo Cannon, right? And I said, okay, okay, I'm getting, I'm getting it, all right. Um, and but because of all that, I also ended up reading because of Jackie Barkley. She gave me a set of books uh, by Mao Zedong, which I still have, Jackie. I still have them, <laughs> especially the five five essays on philosophy. And oh yeah, I, I I I was I was down with Mao because of that. I was like, okay, you know, uh, I I know the historians, but will will tell us yes, he was a he was a uh, a horrible horrible tyrant. I would never want to live under his regime. Mm -hmm. uh, I probably would not have survived if I ever had to live under his regime. But mm. uh, the fact of the matter is, he did liberate China from yeah. European oppression. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, something which still bothers uh, the West to this day. Mm -hmm. I think, I'm, I'm not going to get off tangent here, but I'll just let everybody know, I'll share with you my own private personal thought, uh, that the West is planning a war with China. You heard mm. it here first. Yeah. The West is planning to go to war with China because China has done the unthinkable. It's a nation governed by people of color which who now have an economy that is greater mm -hmm. than, than America's, and it's also not entirely indebted. America may still be a very rich country, but it owes trillions to everybody. Trillions. Yeah, including so China. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. So it's actually a proper country propped mm. up by the petrodollar and its nuclear weapons. That's it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so the authentically wealthy country is China. Mm. And there are and there are, I mean, you gotta keep this I'm not, I promise I'm not gonna get off on a tangent, but I want to share with everybody a basic fact of world history. Mm-hmm. For 500 years, 1492 to the present, Western Europe, Caucasian Europe has dominated the world. That's a fact. That's a simple fact. Yeah. They've dominated the world because they enslaved and colonized the rest of mm -hmm. the world. Yes. Enslaved and colonized the rest of the world. I'm not going to apologize for the fact, for history. That's mm. the truth. And guess what? They got rich. Mm. And they got powerful. Yeah. And guess what? They don't want to let that go. No, of course mm -hmm. not. They don't want to let that go. That's been a good thing for 500 years mm -hmm. for folks yeah. who represent only 15% of the world's population. Yeah. yeah. They represent 15% of the world's population and gobble up the vast majority of the world's wealth. At least 90%. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And so it has benefited them greatly. And mm -hmm. they'll talk about human rights and civil liberties and revolutions and so on and so forth. But the bottom line is white supremacy. Yeah. You know, we want to keep the dollars coming to us. We want to keep mm -hmm. you working for us. We want to keep you bowing down to us and accepting us as being your overlords. And if yeah. you won't accept it, we're going to throw some nuclear weapons at you mm -hmm. or threaten you with nuclear weapons and then call you the violator of human rights. Yeah. And then call you the tyranny. Call you the people who are violating human rights and civil liberties. Mm -hmm. And then, not to get off on a tangent, I think about the U.S. Supreme Court's recent decisions. Yeah. Trying mm -hmm. to enslave women, mm -hmm. trying to deprive uh, Americans of color of their voting rights, mm -hmm. and so on. And I ask, who's the tyranny? Yeah. Who's mm -hmm. the tyranny? Who mm -hmm. has gone around the world executing coups, left, right, and center? No political pun intended, but the coups are left, right, and center. Yeah. yeah. That yeah. they have masterminded and backed to to benefit themselves, not those populations whose governments, even when they're democratically elected, they will overthrow them yeah. because they want to control their oil. They yeah. want to control some other some other commodity that's important for them. 
or they want to have an ally in their struggles, existential struggles against Russia or against China or anybody else that they decide is not is not uh, towing the line yeah. as far as as far as their uh, foreign policy and economic interests dictate. Yeah, very true. The um, the it's it's unfortunate that uh, the term white supremacy has been tied to organizations like the KKK and skinheads because white supremacy isn't exactly that. It's more akin to what you're saying. Yeah. White supremacy is what we swim in every day. Mm-hmm. So, right? Power. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's that power base. It's that, um, that, that, uh, that grab onto power that's not being yeah. let go of. That, yeah. that is white supremacy. Maintaining, yeah, right. the stat, maintaining the scat, status quo is basically white supremacy, you know? Yeah, that's right. With a lot yeah. of window dressing about, yeah. we yes. think so-and-so is a dictator, we think so-and-so is a tyrant, yeah. but against so-and-so, so-and-so is denying mere people civil liberties and human rights and so-and-so. And it's all just propaganda rhetoric. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sorry to have to say that, but for the most part, it is. Because once that tyrant is toppled, once that dictator is removed, does life actually improve yeah. for those people on the ground? I'm thinking of Libya, for instance. Oh, and yes. the fact that NATO, yeah. which is supposedly North Atlantic Treaty Organization, mm-hmm. took it upon itself to blast and bomb Libya mm-hmm. uh, because of the fact that, I guess, uh, they thought Qaddafi uh, uh, had his day had to come to an end in the, in the name of, of uh, the Arab Spring. Mm. Uh, and the supposed uh, coming into uh, fruition of real democracy uh, in that part of the world. And the U.S. suddenly jumped on it and said, yes, yes, we're in favor yeah. of this. Even yeah. though they've been propping up lots of dictators in the Middle East oh, yeah. forever. Yeah. Propping them up forever, including Saddam Hussein, mm-hmm. when he was at war with, with Iran. Yeah. Right? I know, I, gotta, I, I just got to say it point, point blank. Now, we got to understand that W.E.B. Du Bois was correct. Du Bois argued in 1903 that the problem of the color line is the problem of the 20th century. Or mm. to put it the way he actually put it, the problem of the 20th century is the problem of the color line. The only amendment that I think we need to make to Du Bois's wise pronouncement more than 100 years ago is that the problem of the 21st century is the problem of the color line. Mm. The fact that those who have benefited from 500 years of imperialism, colonialism, mm. enslavement of people of color, Ripping off their resources, stealing their lands, for crying out loud, pauperizing millions of people, displacing millions of people, mm-hmm. killing millions of people, like the five million who were killed by Leopold II in Belgium, mm-hmm. or of Belgium, uh, in terms of the in terms of the Congo, which he ran as his personal fiefdom, his own private company. That's what it was, a corporation mm-hmm. uh, for Leopold II. Five million people mm-hmm. maimed and murdered because of the fact that. Uh, uh, he didn't feel that they were digging up enough diamonds or tapping enough rubber to suit his interests, suit his coffers. Mm-hmm. So when I go to Brussels and I look upon all the gleaming marble, all the great works of art, all the gold here and the silver there and and brass, blah, 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 I'm not deluded. I don't think, oh, wow, look at the brilliance of the Belgians. I don't, I don't think that. I just think how they looted, how they yes. looted the Congo to build themselves up. Oh, yes. Mm. And pretend to be some kind of first-rate power when they're a second-rate power. Mm. Always were. Still mm. are. Yeah. And and uh, and the only benefit they ever got was enslaving and dissecting and, and savaging, ravaging yeah. the Congo. 
and still have the nerve not to offer reparations. Mm. Oh, no, 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 please, folks. I got to I gotta mention the R word. Reparations are on the table. Yeah. <laughs> reparations are on the table. You know, I don't blame Jamaica and Barbados for saying we don't need the British royal family anymore. Yeah. We don't need them. Yeah. And besides, when are they going to start paying us back for the centuries of slave labor that mm. enriched them? Very that much enriched so. Great yeah. Britain when it was Great Britain. Mm -hmm. And not simply the United Kingdom, mm -hmm. right? So I guess what I'm trying to say here in a long distance way, and I'll cut it short. Folks, everybody know the history, please. Just grab the history. Over the over the course of doing our, our podcast, we've had a lot of guests talk about how, uh, you know, Canadian history in the Canadian education system is whitewashed. Uh, can you uh, give us some of your thoughts on that? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's, that's, we're, we're ready. That's, we're ready. <laughs> it's, it's true. Yeah. We got we to gotta keep in mind, like, some of the, the facts. I always tell this or say this to my students. Um, we got to understand the structure of the society, how society is structured. Everything, and Malcolm X argued this as well. In, in talking to African-Americans, he would, he would advise, you know, pay attention to the political structures. Pay attention to the Constitution. And talking about Canada and the whitewashing that goes on in Canada, we have to do the same thing. We've got to understand the nature of where we are, the nature of where we live. And it's all very simple. As most things are, are very simple. And I know we can make complications out of them, but ultimately they're pretty simple. Canada is a monarchy. I know that that's a very stupid, evident, self-evident thing to say. But here's the, the, the elaboration on that concept. Because it's a monarchy, it's also a hierarchy. You can't have a king or a queen without having subjects. Mm -hmm. The royals are superior to everybody else. Uh, it's a hierarchical system. You've got a monarchy, you've got some people who are way better than others, and you've got other people who are not as good as others because they're, they're under the monarch, right? And so, Canada has been constructed as a monarchy, and the Constitution says so. Anybody who thinks I'm crazy, just read the Constitution. It says that we're going to set it up like it's the United Kingdom, like it's Great Britain, right? Mm -hmm. That's the and the second the second sentence of the BNA Act, 1867, says that Canada is being put together. Confederation is happening to promote the interests of Great Britain. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't to like say, oh, we want you Canadians, and we want you to to live better. You know, we have better lives. No, we're putting you together to support our imperialist interests. Yeah. Canada, right? So so it's a monarchy. And so because it's a monarchy, it's a hierarchy. Because it's a hierarchy, it means that some Canadians have more status, more, well, simply more status than others. And I want everybody to think about this. Status is the secret word in, in Canadian political parlance. Immigrants are checked about their status. Indigenous people have status or they don't have status. There's even the status of women. But status is the way that Canada, uh, in terms of the bureaucracy, thinks about the citizenry. Uh, and there's a book I will mention called The Vertical Mosaic, first published in 1965 by John Porter, The Vertical Mosaic which fleshes out this argument that I am presenting right now. And to make it really simple, 
The vertical mosaic argues that white Anglo-Saxon Protestant Canadians are at the top. It's their monarch who's on the throne. I like to remind people about that. The monarch is not it, it is not an entity that's completely like colorless or nodulous. Mm. There's a reason why our monarch is white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. Mm-hmm. Because she is their monarch. Yeah. So we have a monarch who's at the very top of the Canadian political system. And there are a lot of people say, no, the queen's only a figurehead. Tell her that. Tell the queen she's only a figurehead. She knows she's got lots of reserved powers of the crown under our constitution. She is, in fact, of the ultimate power if she were to choose to to exercise it. It's by constitutional convention that she does not exercise it, but she still has ultimate power. So the person with the ultimate power in Canada is white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. That means that everybody else in Canada who's white Anglo-Saxon Protestant is close to the queen. Mm-hmm. The way Canadian racism and prejudice works is the closer you are to the monarch in race, in accent, in language, in class, in religion, uh, and in wealth, of course, well, class, uh, the more status you have in Canada. So even if you're a pauper and you got, don't have a pot to pee in, but you have a British accent and a white skin, you, mm-hmm. you can go almost anywhere. Yeah. Because that's your status. Your status puts you as being close to the queen. Mm-hmm. Even if you have nothing to do with her in terms of your class. Even if your religion is is a cult. So long as nobody checks to see what your religion is. And you've got your white privilege and you've got a British accent. You you can walk almost, you can go almost anywhere and get yeah. almost anything in this country. Yeah. Because of the fact that you're gonna your accent classifies you as being better than the average Canadian. Mm. Just your accent alone. Yeah. Um, and then the secondary group of Canadians, secondary, are French Canadians, French Canadian Catholics are secondary. Mm. And then everybody else, they even talk about two founding peoples, that's, that's what they mean. Everybody else takes their place in the pecking order in, in, in terms of how close they come to the monarch or not, mm. or how close they come to the uh, French Canadian Catholic standard or not. And for Blacks and Indigenous, we've always been ranked at the bottom. Always ranked at the bottom Mm. uh, in this hierarchically organized monarchical society. Mm. And anybody who wants to come and say, well, Canada knows it's all egalitarian, multicultural, and so on. Yes, yeah, that's right. We pay lip service to equality of opportunity. And yes, we are a multicultural society. Absolutely. But the distribution of wealth and privilege and power Wealth, privilege, and power is still according to the ranking of various ethnicities and so-called races in the country mm-hmm. down to the bottom, which is where we are, Blacks and Indigenous, the lump and proletariat, so for the most part. Mm-hmm. So I, I ask our audience to understand the nature of the country in which we, in which we, that we, that we inhabit. Mm-hmm. And if we want to take steps, act to be activists to push back against these pernicious in, in, uh, inequalities, pernicious inequalities, then we need to be able to to understand what it is we have to we have to fight against. And I'll just say for anybody who thinks I'm being unpatriotic, I love my country. I'm a proud Canadian. I love my Canadian passport. Thank you very much. Um, but I also take seriously the motto of the Order of Canada. Mm-hmm. They wanted a better country. I want a better country. And yeah. that's why I am critical 
of the way our country is set up. And I, but I also think that it's not going to change unless the vast majority of Canadians understand for ourselves how our country has been organized. It's important to, to recognize that John A. Macdonald, of course, uh, uh, oversaw the instantiation of the, res of the residential school system yeah. uh, to try to eliminate Indigenous people as Indigenous cultures. Mm -hmm. It's also important to recognize John A. Macdonald actually advocated lynching of black men. Yes. Yes, the founder of, of Canada, Confederation, uh, leader of Confederation for Canada, advocated publicly the lynching of black men mm. because he was, he argued that, that uh, it was the only way to ensure that, that uh, white women would be protected from potential uh, black rapists. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and, and uh, we don't read the, we don't read that in history books. We don't. Mm. But of course, he's the same guy who put together the Northwest Mounted Police, the, mm. the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Yeah. So when the RCMP acts in a racist and sexist way towards Black people and Indigenous people in particular, they're coming from established uh, bureaucratic governmental uh, uh, wisdom in quotation marks. Wisdom. That's that's why they were set up. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. The train moving. Yeah. <laughs> so that that myth of meritocracy that's pushed by um, educational systems, um, political systems, um, and it's been pushed, you know, the, that that myth has been pushed for so long. Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, again, it's part of the whitewashing of, of the history and the culture, because the other thing i got to say is not only are we a hierarchical society that, that maintains the hierarchies based on notions of status for different peoples uh, in different parts of the country and so on, uh, it, is, it is also a country that has always had an existential problem, which is why does it exist? Because geographically, economically, it would make more sense for Canada to be part of the United States. Yeah. Trade flows, economic flows, and even population flows, tourism, mm -hmm. at least, are north-south. Yeah. So it would make sense for Canada to be part of the United States. Americans think so. They can't understand why Canada's a separate country. Yeah. The reason why was because of British imperialism. The British... In the mid 19th century, looking at the looking at the map of the world in the same way Americans do now, the British started that whole idea of how do you maintain imperialism? Well, you got to understand who your rivals are going to be. And so the British looked at a map of the world in the 1860s and they said, "We've only got two rivals coming up who can disturb our power, who can knock Great Britain off its pedestal as being the number one power on, in the world." And they identified them easily: Germany and America. Mm. So. Uh, Britain had to do things in Europe to try to keep Germany under control. And in order to keep America under control and to frustrate manifest destiny, it created Canada. And anybody who doubts this, look at your map. Look mm. where Canada is. Look where it sits. Mm. East, west, on top of the United States. Yep. The formation of Canada was to stop the United States. It was to put a cap on the United States. I've got my uh, a lens cleanser here. So here's... <laughs> Here's the U.S., here's Canada. Boom. Boom. Canada sits right on top of the U.S. And that's to check, to block its northward expansion. That was mm. the purpose for the creation of Canada. Uh, this, uh, to further the interests of the British Empire. Further proof of this 
is the fact that after World War II, when Britain was was definitely very weak and impoverished, and and basically um, about to lose its empire. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> Gandhi was about to kick him out of India and what is now Pakistan. Gandhi, Mao was kicking him out of China. Gandhi is kicking him out of India, right? So, so they're losing their empire and they don't like it, but there's nothing they can do about it because they got no military left anymore to do very much. They got to rely on the United States, which was actually Churchill's notion, Churchill's mm. idea. So what they then decide to do is to try to prevent America from grabbing the West Indies. They asked Canada for 50 years, Jay, Derek, for 50 years, there were secret talks between Ottawa and London about Ottawa annexing the British West Indies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If they had done it, Barbados, Jamaica, Trinidad would all be Canadian provinces. Yeah, I read that. <laughs> yeah. and, and, uh, but that didn't happen because Mackenzie King, talking to his, his dead mom through his, through his dog, Mm-hmm. That the communication from his mother that this would be a bad idea. So we got Newfoundland instead. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that explains a lot. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just so, totally kidding. Yeah, I know. So so to come back to the basic point here, uh, 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 the existential crisis for Canada is why aren't we American? Now, it's different for, for Quebecois and other French Canadians who've always had a greater sense of territorial possession uh, than English Canadians have had, for the most part. Uh, so English Canada has always been asking the question, who are we, what are we, what's our identity, blah, blah, blah. The famous identity problem question is because of, of the fact that um, United Empire loyalists ended up coming to Canada. 10% of them were black, of course. Uh, end up coming to colonial Canada, British North America, and grieving the fact that that they've been kicked out of the, out of, out of the revolutionary United States. They've been kicked out <laughs> as Tories for crying out loud, um, and so they've never been able to really uh, work with that. So then, what developed was a great propaganda campaign, and I ch- challenge our audience to pay attention. I challenge you every single day. Just just you just choose one day of the week and listen to the news. You choose the news you want to listen to so long as the Canadian news uh, newscast. And I promise you that at least once a day, there's gonna be a story that positions the United States as crazy, as as unlawful, yeah. as illogical, as nasty, as dangerous, as violent, blah, blah, blah. And, and, and in contrast, Canada will be positioned as the peaceable kingdom, mm-hmm. where everything is nice, people are kind, we're, we're polite and courteous and we're friendly, we don't go around the world knocking over governments. Yeah. We don't have racism. We never had slavery. Yeah. And what I'm trying to get here is that we've been giving ourselves this propaganda ever since Canada was formed, 1867. We've given ourselves 150 plus years of propaganda to 155 years, precisely this year, 155 years of propaganda, just pure propaganda, lies about our history to try to position ourselves as being better than America. Yeah, which has yeah. always been always been the bottom line, especially for English Canada. Yeah. We've always got to say that we're better than America. Psychologically, it's important mm-hmm. because we have to justify our existence. Because we never came together because we wanted to come together. Yeah. We came together because we were pushed together by Britain. Yeah, yeah it's uh, yeah. that's a very interesting uh, take. Of the, but when you think about it, like you said, and you sit down and you think about our history, that's uh, 
definitely fits into place. I have to, yeah. I have to say, have to say, uh, Dr. Dr. Clark, this has been an amazing after uh, afternoon. Yeah. Uh, to hear a little bit about your history uh, and get your Scotian story, hear a little bit about your poetry and to get some of your views, which, uh, you know, to be honest, our podcast does agree with because uh, we've, we've been, you know, through 40, 45 episodes, we've actually been talking about these issues as well. Yeah, um, for sure. Do you have anything to uh, add just before we wrap up? Oh, my golly. Um, what a what a great experience it is to share these ideas and and to share our our history about which I want us all to be very proud. And no matter how poor, no matter how oppressed, no matter how illiterate our ancestors were in Nova Scotia, mm -hmm. we need to be proud of the fact that they maintained a black community without support from anywhere. African America was not coming to help. The West Indies were not coming to help. Africa was not coming to help. Our ancestors created a distinctive Black culture on the far reaches of the North Atlantic. Mm -hmm. Icebergs, polar bears, yeah. and there we are. Yeah. Right? Um, <laughs> refuting. And I mean, the people who invented the slap shot for crying out loud, the Maritime <laughs> Colored Hockey League, the yeah. slap shot comes from us for crying out loud. So we are one of the greatest northernmost expressions of African culture in the world. We never think about that. Mm. But we are a northern black people, yes. a Nordic black yeah. people. We never think of ourselves that way. That's who we are. Mm. We can skate. We can shoot. We can do slap shots. Yeah. crying out loud, not just dunking basketballs. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and that is also our heritage. And we should own it. Yes. We should yeah. own that. Yeah. You know, um, uh, we have been a great people for military prowess, for cultural achievement, uh, for sports accomplishment, um, for theology. Mm -hmm. You know, to build a church out of nothing in the face yeah. of white oppression and dare to call it the African Baptist Association. Mm -hmm. I think that's something to stand up and cheer about. Nobody mm -hmm. else was going to be able to come and do that for us. Yeah. They could have built a church and just called it the Baptist Church. But they said, no, it's an African Baptist Church. Mm -hmm. You know, thank you, Richard Preston. Thank you, Septimus Clark. Thank you, Louisa Bailey, yeah. for mm -hmm. building that church yeah. and giving it that giving it that uh, moniker and saying, that's what we're going to stand for in the snow. Yeah. We're going to sit up here in the snow and worship the Lord. Yeah. Come on. That's crazy. <laughs> it's beautiful crazy. Mm -hmm. So I think that we need to to embrace all of that and understand just how powerful it is and that we can make our art and do our politics and do our sports knowing that we come from a powerful lineage of people who are able to survive all the cold, all the disease, all the malnutrition, all the starvation, all the all the uh, 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 indigent, sorry, mm -hmm. not indigent, excuse me, indigent uh, mm -hmm. circumstances to which our ancestors were subjected. And, and deliberately so, so be forced to leave. We got to remember that there were laws in some of the Nova Scotia towns, Yarmouth and Digby and New Glasgow, I can say for sure, they had sunset laws. Oh, yeah. said, if you're black, you got to get out of town yeah. by sundown. Yeah, sundown towns. Uh, yeah. In New Glasgow, they used to have roving bands of, of white men whose job it was was to police the town to make sure there were no black men, especially in mm -hmm. town after the sun went down. Yeah. So that's the condition into which Viola Desmond stepped in 1946 without knowing it. Yeah. That ended up with her being being thrown into prison, mm -hmm. right? 
Those are the circumstances. And we should always remember that and call people. You know, the West is always something we're going to call into account. We're going to call into, they need to be called into account. I want them to go to The Hague and sit in little glass boxes and answer <laughs> for their crimes against humanity. Yeah. They should be over there. Doug yeah. should be sitting over there for crying out loud, not just, you know, rinky-dink dictators from this tin pot dictatorship or another, yeah. but the mm -hmm. real villains. They should mm -hmm. be sitting up there. Yeah. Don't worry, we can give them good defenses. We'll mm. give them free lawyering. <laughs> no problem. We'll help them look at the evidence and try to figure out a way to get the, to escape. Um, but the fact that they are not sitting there just underlines the, the power imbalances that we have and the hypocrisy yeah. of those power imbalances. But I need to I need to, to end up as you've been asking me to do. And I should end up with a poem. And I, I got to say, my memory is not as great as it used to be for some things. It's, it's hard to memorize poems. I, I, I'm totally with you. <laughs> I'm totally with you. All right. Uh, I'm going to try to recite Look Homeward Exile. Okay. So here it is. And this is a poem I wrote when I was uh, went to Europe for the first time in 1985. I was sitting in a laundromat. Uh, with a raspberry milkshake from McDonald's, watching my clothes spin around in the in the dryer, I think. And suddenly I was thinking about Three Mile Plains, Newport Station, Green Street, people I knew from there, and family history and so on. And this poem came to me at that point. Look homeward, exile. I can still see that soil crimsoned by butchered hog and imbrued with wry, lie, and homely spirituals everybody must know. Still dream of folks who broke or cracked like shale. Pushkin, who twisted his hands in boxing. Morocco harangued girls like dogs and got stabbed. Lavinia, her teeth decayed to black stumps, her lovemaking still in demand, spitting black phlegm. Her pension after 20 towns. And tooth suckled on anger that no Baptist church could contain, who let wrinkled Ely seed her moist womb when she was just 13. And the tyrant sun that reared from barbed wire spewed flame that charred the idiot crops to depression and hurt my granddaddy to bottle after bottle of sweet death, his dreams beaten to one tremendous pulp until his heart seized, choked, his love gave out. But beauty survived, secreted in freight trains, snorting in their pins, and babes whose faces were coal black mirrors, and strange strummers who plucked Ghanaian banjos, hummed blind blues, precise, ornate, plum needlepoint, in sermons scorched with sulfur and brimstone, and in my love's dark orient skin that smelt like orange peels and tasted like rum. Good God. I remember my creator in the old ways. I sit in taverns and stare at my fists. I net earth into bread, spell water into wine. Still nothing warns my wintry exile. Neither prayers nor fine love, neither votes nor hard drink. For nothing heals those saints felled in green beds, whose loves are smashed by just one word or glance, or pain, a screw jammed in thick, straining wood. Mm. Wow. Mm. Powerful. He snaps up, man. Powerful, <laughs> powerful. Thank you. Thank wow. you, Jay. Thank you so much. Thank you, well, Dr. Clark. My yes. Goodness. Thank you, Dr. Clark. I just want to say it's been great to hear the stories. It's been great to hear the history. It's been great to hear the, the 
passion, the poetry, and the fact that we could be family as well is also kind of a cool <laughs> thing as well. So, you know, on this journey of doing this podcast, we've interviewed a lot of the names that you mentioned. Um, you know, we interviewed Walter Borden. Uh, we, uh, we interviewed Shelly Hamilton, who I know is a friend of yours. And, uh, but the one common thread is the community of Nova Scotia, whether or not we're intellectual or, or whatever the case may be. The fact that uh, you shared your stories with these same people that sort of always sort of held up this integrity of what the black community in Nova Scotia was supposed to be is, is very good to see and uh, reminisce and, and, and know that we came from such a strong community and you, and you're keeping that going forward. I'm saying too much, but uh, I just want to say it was uh, great to interview you. Well, uh, if I, I've got a couple minutes left, I, I will share one more anecdote with you. Uh, uh, jumping off this idea of integrity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mentioned in there in, during the interview uh, about finishing my doctorate and going to teach at Duke. But before I got to go to Duke, I had a period of time where I wasn't being hired. Nobody seemed to be very interested in, in, in what I had written about in terms of black American and white Canadian poetry. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, but I had my doctorate. I was Dr. George Elliott Clark. So, um, uh, I told Charlie Saunders, late Charles Saunders, when he was a um, uh, columnist for the Daily News, that uh, and he was my friend. So I told him, that, "Hey, you know, I I just finished my my uh, completed my doctorate," and he put something in his column or he mentioned it to people, and so then all of a sudden, you know, in January 1994, on a bitterly cold January night, Saturday night. Um, I get invited to come to Halifax by the North End community, black and white, to celebrate my doctorate. That was really special, really, mm, really yeah. sweet. So a hundred people came out and I, they put my face up on lampposts, uh, posters on lampposts all over the North End. Come and meet Dr. George Elliott Clark. I didn't even have a teaching job yet, but I went home. I went to North Branch Library, a hundred people came out. Rocky was there, Sylvia was there, Jackie was there. Uh, they all spoke and and basically, and, and um, uh, uh, David Woods was there. Uh, they, had, they had singers, they had dancers, they had poets reciting, all to celebrate the fact that a boy from the hood <laughs> got a doctorate. Yeah. And I, I mentioned that just to accent how special that is. Yeah. I mean, how, how weirdly beautiful that is. Hey, you're not lying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's, the, that's the beauty of our community, though. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, like me and Jay, we, uh, just before we wrap up, me and Jay uh, went home to visit uh, last month. Yeah. And we were walking through the North End on Godkin Street. And literally, uh, Jay's cousin said, hey, Jay. And then we, <laughs> yeah. we spent the next 40 minutes on the side of the road talking to a bunch of people that we had no intention of bumping into. Yeah. Uh, that's our community. Yeah. 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 That's our community. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, it's important to, to remember that, if anything, when push comes to shove, anyway, anyhow, you know, remember mm-hmm. that. Yeah. <sighs> awesome. Send shivers down my spine. 
Hey, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's cool. You know, that that's a family thing. <laughs> but uh, it, it, it was a pleasure to interview. And thanks so much for sharing your time. Really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mr. Jones, Mr. Wise. Thank you. God bless. Okay, God bless, take God care. Bless. All right. You have been listening to Down Home. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, everybody. Uh, thank you very much for enjoying that last episode of Down Home. Uh, we're going into hiatus again, like we did last year. Um, so, yes, thank you very much for your support over the last, uh, how was it, four months? <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah, last four months. Uh, so we will be back again. Uh, don't worry, we're not we're not putting it down. We're gonna continue, continue the fight. Uh, we will be back again in February of 2023. Yeah, uh, yeah. Thanks everybody for listening, taking your time to enjoy and comment on these conversations. If there's anything you wanna like to see us tackle send us a you know a message on our instagram or facebook and you know we'll try to do so but we enjoy what we're doing it's it's a passion project that has continued and got us through covid so it's a good time thanks for tuning in and derek is awesome so give him a hand (laughs) (laughs) well jay jones is awesome too so word (laughs) yeah jay jones books the guest so if if you if you know anyone that wants to wants to add their voice to our conversation uh, contact us and Jay there uh, through our email or one of our social networks there. All Peace right. and love always. All right. Bye. The song Breaking New Ground from The Breakdown. <laughs>